Welcome to the Mellow Mama podcast, where I talk all things conscious living and conscious respectful parenting with the help of lots of great books, resources, and of course, my own experience as a mom in order to give you the tool set yourselves to have great relationships that are enriching, fulfilling, full of authenticity, presence, and connection with not only your children, but also yourselves. And today's discussion is all about limits, boundaries, and just plain say a no to your children as a conscious, respectful parent. How to assess limits, how to set them, and of course, how to anticipate and support our children with what's typically to follow after said no's and rejection. Now, I've addressed many a time that the most common misconception I hear and see around conscious, respectful parenting is that people perceive it as passive parenting or warmly permissive parenting and you could also call that letting your kids do whatever the heck they want parenting (laughs) and if you're not sure about the distinction between those styles of raising kids and what I teach and advocate for go listen to a recent podcast episode where I actually talk about the four most common styles of child rearing and what's typically advocated for in terms of like the best way to raise children and how it's different from what I advocate for. And you know, one of the things that I like to point out right from the get-go when it comes to this conversation of, yeah, we have boundaries and limits. We say no to our kids as conscious parents is that saying no, setting reasonable limits and boundaries, especially with our child's perspective in mind, and we'll get to that, actually promotes autonomy for our children. It promotes independence. It allows them to feel confident, secure, and it develops a sense of trust in our relationship, that we are looking out for our children, that we consider their perspective even when we need to say no, when we need to set limits, set boundaries, but we do so in a respectful way. So to start the conversation, yes, respectful conscious parenting absolutely advocates for saying no to your kids when it's necessary. And this is where the most important, I think, piece of the conversation comes in. What deems a limit, a boundary necessary for you as a parent? And you know, this is obviously not going to be the same across the board for everybody, but I do have and recommend a little four pillar foundation upon which to build off of when assessing limits and boundaries. And you might be thinking, What are you even talking about? Like, I don't need to assess the limits and boundaries that I'm setting. I just need to figure out how to deal with the aftermath, my kid freaking out when I do set limits and boundaries. And I totally understand this outlook, right? It comes from the classic authoritarian behaviorist mindset that we own and control our kids. And absolutely, we want to influence our children. We need to be their calm, confident guide. Going back to my first statement that... Our children thrive with limits and boundaries. Our children require them for safety, to feel secure, to trust us in our guidance. But when we operate in this system of control, with this mindset of because I said so and I don't need to assess limits and boundaries, Kate, because I know why I'm setting them. I know my child needs them. I'm doing this because I love my child or I'm doing it because it's what's best for them. I don't care that they might get upset. I don't care that they're uncomfortable. I don't need to, you know, state a boundary or limit in any way other than no, you can't do that. No, don't touch that. No, don't go there, etc., etc. But first of all, 
we rupture a very great opportunity for relationship and long-term influence with this thinking. And second of all, it's just not fun. And not that the goal of being a parent is to have a good time, but wouldn't it be great if we could have that experience? If we could be our child's calm, confident guide? If we could be the number one influence in their life and it be fulfilling and it be more simple and it be less challenging. I mean, this push and pull that we constantly operate in when working with the system of control. I need to own my child subconsciously. I know a lot of people listening will be like, oh, for the love, like seriously, I don't think I own my child. But if you're operating with behaviorist tactics, extrinsic motivation for your child to do or be a certain way, absolutely you subconsciously operate there. And there, there's no shame. You know, I'm not condemning anybody. That's the mainstream model. That's what we've mostly all been conditioned with. And it's okay. But once we know better information and we have a better tool set, it's, it's just great to use it, right? Especially because this conversation itself, the limits and boundaries and saying no conversation has so much to do with the big picture. And in my course, I ask a lot of questions about this because it's really the starting point for everything, for all of your decision making as a mom or a dad, right? What do you want for yourself, for your household, for your children? These questions you've got to know the answers to in order to make solid conscious, if we're talking about conscious parenting here, choices for yourself and your family. Now, if your goal is for your child to be a respectful person, safe, make safe decisions long-term and they're into their adult life, if you want them to have great health, longevity, if you want them to just be joyful people that are fulfilled, right, they're going to need a better set of reasons than because my mom said so, or because my dad said so, or because I'm afraid of my parents' reaction to not doing X, Y, or Z, or to doing X, Y, or Z, you want them to be equipped with a real moral compass, an understanding of why they do what they do. This is the very foundation of being a conscious person. What, how do I behave And why do I behave that way on a daily basis? What do I think? Why do I think it, right? How do I feel? Why do I feel that way? Where does this conditioning come from? We want our children to be equipped with that information as opposed to, I don't know, it's a (laughs) fear-based response. I don't do whatever because I'm afraid of my parents' response. Do you really think that that is going to hold up into your child's adult life? Even into adolescence, this is a lot of the time why there's I mean, one of many reasons why, um, the main one being that there's no in, real influence here. We're not fostering trust and actual understanding with our children. It's authoritarian because I said so. That's why you do it. And we even go so far as to take it personally when our children reasonably are like, but tell me why. Explain. I'm new here. Our kids are new. <laughs> They're fresh. Which is a lovely segue into the last thing that I want to talk about when considering setting limits and boundaries and assessing them first. If you're still on the fence, like, nah, not going to be doing that. I'm going to say no and I'm going to say it 
proudly <laughs> when I want to and when I think it needs to be done because I'm the mom or I'm the dad. I don't know who you are listening here, but you might be like, I know what's best for my kids. And I completely agree with you. You are the mom or dad and you do know what's best for your children. That being said, though, you also need to understand the developmental readiness and adjust your expectations accordingly. And I'll talk more about that specifically once we get to the how to set limits and boundaries section of this podcast episode. But for now, when going into the four pillars, I want you to have that in the back of your mind. Like, what are my expectations? Are they reasonable or even realistic for my child's developmental stage? And with that being said, let's continue the conversation. So the four pillars start for me with number one being safety. And this seems pretty obvious because it is, right? If our child is in an unsafe circumstance or they're doing something that could possibly result in them being physically hurt or hurt someone else, including you, yeah, clearly a limit needs to be set. It's without being said, okay? That being said, I feel like I say that a lot. I'm going to try to take out that phrase from my vocabulary for my next episode, okay? But that being said, I want you to do a little double take moving forward when you're about to set a limit because you think there's a safety concern. I want you to really know that there's a safety concern before setting a limit or a boundary compulsively, right? Or really the word is impulsively. Gosh, I don't know what's happening to me right now. No, you know what? Actually, both of those words are right. So anyway, before setting a limit around a safety concern that you personally have for your child, also, sorry for the hard P's, okay? I feel like every time I listen to my podcast, it's like, that my P's are really strong. But anyway, assess if there's really a safety concern to be concerned with <laughs> before setting a limit or boundary around safety. For example, you might feel antsy or you might be conditioned to feel fearful around children in general they're small they're fragile they do get hurt semi-easily in fact actually i might even disagree with that statement i think that children are very physically resilient i mean and obviously this is going to be subjective you might have a child that is like unbreakable mr glass like they're just hurt all the time and you know it is what it is but in general i see kids like take a tumble and i'm like how in the world they just keep going i mean my son was a great example of this and maybe it's because of the way i set limits and boundaries or maybe it's because of the way i responded i don't know but i do think children are very physically resilient that being said A great example of what I mean by assess if there's really a safety concern before expressing a safety concern is like the following uh, time where my son and I were playing in a pool and there were several steps to get into the pool. He was probably about two years old, less than two, and we were in this pool on the stairs together and I was letting my son, because I was sitting beside him exploring the water right like he could put his face under the water uh, go down to maybe like a couple of the lower steps not the lowest step and if he did I'd be holding his hands right and the person that I was with at the time was so concerned and actually expressed like that is not safe what you're doing and I thought to myself oh man maybe this isn't safe and then I thought how on earth would it not be safe if I'm sitting here doing nothing else but watching him in the water. In fact, I think I'm promoting autonomy and safety by allowing my son to build confidence, to build an independent sense of awareness 
around the water, to, to get more comfortable in the water. If anything, I think by not being nervous <laughs> in the water with my son, being really present, I'm, again, making it a more safe uh situation, I guess, or a long-term even. I'm allowing my son to develop more comfort in the water and a better skill set with potential swimming down the road because he'll be excited to put his head under, to learn how to breathe, to learn how to blow bubbles, right? And, and to just, again, develop that sort of comfortability in the pool. And the person I was with, because I talked about it with them, was like, I would have never thought about it that way. For whatever reason, I'm just scared seeing a child in the pool. And I'm like, I definitely understand that. If I were to just let my son Donovan play on the stairs alone, <laughs> even even like two feet away, that would be kind of freaky to me. I would not be comfortable with that. But there really was no reason for concern there, but the person was concerned. So this is kind of what I'm talking about. If there are, like, say... Another good example, and this one also, again, it's sort of subjective when it comes to safety. I know there are people that are more relaxed, like me, and then people that are like way more high strung when it comes to safety concerns. And I get it. We, again, want to keep our children safe. This is like the number one thing we're committed to as parents, keeping our kids alive and well. But another good example is that, you know, my husband really prefers for Donovan to be only on the sidewalk when he rides his bike. Only. It, it doesn't matter if it is like the most, I don't know, relaxed day. There's nobody out driving. We have seen maybe one car on a very long walk or a long bike ride. But in our neighborhood, he's like, you must stay on the sidewalk. And my my thought process here is, hmm, if I want my son to be in reality, which is really one of the biggest goals of a conscious objectivist parent, I would rather him not simply say, in order to be safe, I need to always be on the sidewalk riding my bike. I would rather him understand that I need to be very aware of my surroundings when riding my bike. I need to understand that when cars drive by, it's not only safe to get to the side of the road and stay on the sidewalk, but also polite, right? We don't want to interfere with traffic and make people feel nervous and scared about a little kid on his bike, right? But also, I want my son to create, again, long-term skills around safety on the road. Like, like let's say long-term, he wants to be a full-time cyclist or something. I don't want him to be like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm paranoid all the time. You know, like... I want him to actually develop awareness and a realistic idea of safety, real comprehension. Now, again, this is where developmental readiness is super important too. Now, is my son at age five developmentally ready to be that aware of his surroundings? Maybe not. Maybe there's a good reason to have this limit, right? No, I really feel uncomfortable with you in the road. I don't feel like you're ready just yet. And again, I'm kind of skipping ahead to the how to set a boundary, but this is a good example of, hmm, maybe in time we could switch it up and say, you know what? There isn't really a safety concern as long as you have great um, awareness or maybe I'm with you. Sometimes I do allow him to ride in the road with me when we're together, when I'm like, okay, or, or I can be very specific 
about the limit or the boundary. Hmm, it seems like you want to ride in the road. Okay, from this point on, there I know there's no traffic whatsoever because it's a dead end or I just know that there's never traffic back here and if there is, I will see it and I'll be able to get you on the sidewalk safely and in time, whatever. Then there we go. I've assessed, hmm, okay, when should I set a limit here? Is there a need for a limit? Is there a real safety concern here? I think you might be getting my point with those two examples. But again, assess before setting a limit around safety if there even needs to be one. The last thing I want to touch on when it comes to setting boundaries and limits around safety concerns is that we sometimes might create more of a safety concern by being concerned. That might sound confusing, but let me give you an example. If our child is developing mind-to-muscle connection in their play, let's say they're climbing on something or they're exploring in a new way with their body, riding a bike, riding a scooter. If we're constantly interjecting, interrupting, trying to direct and teach, okay, hold on, hold on, no, don't move your foot right there, stop, don't, let me move your hand for you, or it's not safe, it's very high, or I don't want you to climb that bridge, oh, be careful up there, it's very high, right? We're, we're basically setting our child up to not only feel the fear that we're projecting onto them, but we create a safety concern and more risk here by getting away from them developing more autonomy, bodily confidence and awareness and more into, oof, my parent is telling me this isn't safe. I I shouldn't feel safe. I shouldn't feel secure. And that leads to a lack of confidence, which then leads to actual potential risk. You know, our child not having that confidence could lead to an actual physical misstep or mishap and Again, it's just important to consider when setting limits and boundaries to first assess, hmm, how is my child really doing? What kind of autonomy are they really developing by me not interjecting here? Does a limit or a boundary need to be set? Or or if I really need to feel more comfortable, what can I do on my end as the parent to make myself feel more comfortable if my child is really not at risk? Like the pool example, being super duper close, even holding the hand the entire time or riding in the street or walking in the street while your child is wanting to ride in the road to have like a more smooth surface to ride on. Again, considering the child's perspective in the first place. Why would we even bend? Because we consider the perspective as valid from infancy. But those, those are some ways that we can see, hmm, okay, what can I offer myself for more comfort and also to try to meet my child's need meet them where they're at understand their perspective what do they want to do how can I allow them to do it in a safe way and again this is getting sort of it's like trickling into the how to set limits and boundaries conversation but I first want you to assess when something really needs to be said so the next one is health This is huge, especially because I think food is one of the most sensitive subjects when it comes to raising children for a million reasons. People eat a ton of different ways. People think a ton of different ways about health, about food, nutrition, nourishment. And again, not the conversation we're having today. Everybody's different. Whatever serves you and your family is what's best. Whatever you feel like is helping your family flourish, thrive, 
I'm so glad to hear it. That being said, if there's a genuine health concern for your child and you're like, I have to set a limit or a boundary here. This is a super common one. Um, you know, it is what it is. A limit needs to be set. Your child cannot have 17 Oreos for breakfast. That's just unreasonable and kind of bizarre. Has it happened? 100% things like that have gone down, okay? I've definitely come downstairs and my son has had like three popsicles and I'm like, what time is it? You know, it's like 9.30, what's going on? Okay, we're, we're human, okay? <laughs> Our kids are human too, sugar is evil and it is what it is. But a limit 100% needs to be set there for our child's health, okay? That's my second pillar. I could get more into it, but again, yeah, I guess I could cover too right now that you can also assess there, is there really a concern? You know, is there, is my child's health right now at risk? Like, does my child, I don't know, are, like by doing what they're doing in terms of whatever they're consuming, um, it might even be like screen time, okay? I consider that a health concern. <laughs> I consider a bunch of different stuff, a, a potential health concern. So when setting limits and boundaries around those things, first assess though, how, how often is this happening? Okay. Is this a special occasion, right? Are you at a birthday party? Is your kid having four cupcakes, but it's a birthday party and this is a rare thing that's happening and you're going to have to deal with <laughs> the aftermath, but you're like, I mean, really? Have I ever gone overboard and am I okay? Yes. Right. But if you're like, listen, you are really not going to feel well. Like, I, I know my child's limits, right? If you think a limit or boundary needs to be set there, absolutely set a limit or boundary. Health is one of the, that's like the number two pillar for me. So safety and health. The third pillar is like social norms, social etiquette. One of the things that I love about Rosalind Ross's work is she sort of refers to the parent-child dynamic as one in which we have this like visitor from a foreign place and they just don't understand our customs yet. And we kind of have to guide them like, oh yeah, we don't do that here. <laughs> That's not the way we do things here. And, and we do it in a respectful way. We wouldn't want to like offend our guests. We wouldn't want to make them feel like garbage. We would want them to genuinely like just kind of understand and, and feel like, we're looking out for them. Like, hey, we just we just want you to know, okay? Like, that's not really how we do things here. And I just don't want you to look like you're not, like, I don't know, you're like not a nice person. <laughs> like, I want to help you out. And the same thing goes for our children. We're really their guide. And we, we do want them to be respectful, considerate people. We want them to be well-mannered. And a lot of that happens with modeling. But sometimes we have to set a limit or boundary about something that's being done, again, that's not necessarily in the realm of our customs, okay? Here on this island, here in, the, in this world to our new children, like, we can't do that. Like, we can't throw food in the restaurant, okay? Like, boundary needs to be set. We don't stand on furniture, okay? Yeah. Limit needs to be set there. I mean, and I could go on and on, but I'm sure you know what manners look like and sound like for you in your household. And again, this, in terms of like social norms, can be slightly different too. There are some things where I'm a little bit flexible. I'm like, hmm, 
is anybody going to be harmed? Is anybody going to be upset about this? Is this really disrespectful what I'm doing? A good example might be that my son and I frequent this little coffee shop in a nearby town. We go there like, I don't know, maybe two times a month. Like, I think that's frequenting a place. Like, we go there pretty often. They recognize us. They know Donovan's name. They might know my name. I don't know. But, like, we know them. They know us. It's a really sweet dynamic, a very sweet, small place. And sitting outside on the patio, Donovan one day was like, Mom, I really, really want to open this umbrella to the table. And the restaurant obviously had not opened said umbrella. And I was like, you know... I feel comfortable enough in this environment, like I know these people, that yeah, I will say like you can do that once or twice. You can open it and shut it just to see how that works, how to do it. You clearly are interested in it and want to explore it and we can talk more about that and like why they have it closed or why some people have it open moving forward. But somebody actually, I recorded this and talked about this on my Instagram story, and someone said, this is just so blatantly disrespectful, I would never let my child do that. Clearly the restaurant does not want it open, and it's not appropriate for him to be doing that. You should be sitting down and eating. And I was like, I totally get that. I get that perspective, because it's that person's perspective. They they probably grew up in an environment where maybe there was a lot of rigidity around table manners, around meal times, around other people's property. She mentioned that is the restaurant's property. I'm like, wow, that's so interesting because from my perspective, absolutely, if I'm sitting and I am a, especially, especially like a frequent uh, customer for these, for this establishment, right? I feel like they'd be more than happy if I was like, I could use some shade or I just want the umbrella open. I feel better with the umbrella open as opposed to closed on the table. They would absolutely want me to open it. And they would absolutely be like, oh yeah, you want your little boy to open it? How sweet, right? Like they wouldn't be offended. But I'm also from the Midwest. (laughs) That might even be a factor. People here are like, okay, yeah, sure. Like, open the umbrella. Like, of course. They might even feel like that's weird for me to feel like that might upset them. But who knows? This person might be from a place that's like, um, excuse me, why are you touching our umbrellas? (laughs) So again, this is subjective. Setting limits and boundaries around what you consider to be being a well-mannered person, a considerate client or customer is you know it's up to you but for me it it requires some assessment and I think that's the point of this episode that I really want to drive home assessing limits and boundaries understanding like why why do I need to say no to that because I at first to be honest with you guys when my son was like I want to open this umbrella I'm like no like we don't need to open it right now (laughs) like why do you need to open this umbrella in my mind okay but because of a lot of practice of this, hmm, break it down, Kate. Like, how can I meet my son's needs? I'm like constantly thinking about that. How can I, how can I let him do what he wants to do so that he can learn, so that he can explore, so that he can feel more comfortable here in the world, right? He's new. He's fresh. He's like, I'm going to check that out. Like, this is cool. An umbrella. How beautiful, first of all, too, like that our children have this fresh view of everything, Even an umbrella is exciting to them. So I'm like, you know what? In my mind, my initial thought is, no, we don't need to touch that. I don't want you opening it. Even I think about uh, 10 steps ahead, and I'm sure a lot of you are with me on this. I thought, 
He's just going to open it and shut it and open it and shut it. He's not going to eat. He's going to bug the people next to us. Who knows? Maybe the people in the restaurant don't want us touching this thing. Like, I know, like, this is, no. But instead, I was like, okay, hmm. I, I totally get wanting to open that umbrella. It looks fun. There's a crank. It's really big. It's colorful. It might look different from the inside. Let's do it, but I want you to only do it one time opening it, and then I want you to close it so that it's back how the restaurant had it, okay? Again, dang it, I'm telling you guys how to set the limits and boundaries, but there you go. That's an example of assessing social norms, being well-mannered, and being just respectful and considerate. I think that's cause for a limit or boundary. If something's happening that's just not appropriate, it's absolutely valid to say, hey, that's not, that's, that's not really appropriate. That's not how we do things, whatever. <clears throat> do we need to shame anybody? Make them feel guilt? Make them feel like a bad person? No, our children are learning. And again, we'll get to that when I talk about how to set limits and boundaries. <laughs> but the last one, my fourth pillar is something that I don't really see in every parenting philosophy. I see it a lot in um, like more behaviorist parenting. I think that this is actually the cornerstone of behaviorist parenting when they when it comes to limits and boundaries. But sometimes when I see like people talking about gentle parenting or even respectful parenting, this gets sort of lost. And I think it's really important to consider and it's something that I think the objectivist parenting approach really nails. So personal needs just something being like it's making me uncomfortable I don't like it I I just don't want that to happen anymore like I I totally I just I'm not into that is a valid reason to set a limit or a boundary now the way in which we set boundaries around our personal needs is super duper important and it's important to reflect on and it's also important to assess where this is coming from typically for me This is either I'm just like tapped out and exhausted. For example, my son wants to read a book for the fourth time. Now, I know the benefits of my son wanting to read the same book over and over again. This is great for his like language development, his reading skills. I mean, this is great stuff. And I know that. And even still, I'll be like, I do not want to freaking read this book a fourth time, okay? I can't do it. I've got it memorized, (laughs) But I don't want to, right? And that is a perfectly okay way to feel as a mom to just be like, I I don't want to. It has nothing to do with anything. I just don't feel like it. It could even be the first time and it's a book that you just really don't enjoy reading. I swear that section of the library that has like TV inspired books, I want to set it on fire. And please, if anything ever happens to my local library, Do not hold me accountable. Okay, I'm not actually going to set the library's movie book section on fire, but I, in my mind, I I would, okay? Because it's like miserable for me to read the books that are a basic breakdown of the plot line of whatever movie. I'm like, this is not even quality writing. What is happening? Who's responsible for this? Like, I feel personally victimized by that book section. So yeah, I really don't like when my son presents that to me as an option to read before bed or even in the library. I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh." (laughs) But 99% of the time I'll be like, all right, cool. You know what? 
my son loves this, so I'm going to help him have uh, this like positive experience reading by reading this book to him. There's a 1% though, okay, where I'm like, honestly, D, I don't want to read that. I'll read you like any other book than that, but I don't want to read that. It's not my favorite thing to read and I don't feel like reading it right now. Our personal needs as parents and our personal preferences are important to be considered as well. One of the main things that I talk about when it comes to conscious parenting is relationship. Being in relationship with your children means a two-way street, mutual needs being met, right? And sometimes our needs sound silly, like I don't want to read a movie book (laughs) and that's okay. So now that we've covered the four pillars, safety, health, manners, slash social norms, etiquette, oh, I got my baby with me now, Um, and our own personal needs as the parent, let's move on to specifically how we set boundaries and limits without implying shame, guilt, making our kids just feel bad, you know. Now, the great thing about assessing limits before setting them is that it's kind of also step one in how to set them. First, we have to consider the perspective of the other person in this relationship dynamic, and that's our children. And I talk about that over and over again for a good reason. It's hard to do sometimes, especially when their safety is at risk, their health is a concern, their manners are a work in progress, right? Or our needs just are not being met. The bottom line also is that all of those things collectively on a daily basis for months and years can be really triggering, especially when we have unresolved big T or little t traumas from our own childhood and adolescence around how limits and boundaries were placed on us, how often, uh, how little of assessing there was around those limits and boundaries, how much guilt or shame there was when we didn't comply with those limits and boundaries for either developmental reasons or just, you know, our own personal a need to explore, to learn, to test, to understand our environment and our surroundings as human people, right? It can be really challenging. So getting out of that mindset of like, my child is against me and they're being disobedient, they're defiant, right? And also my daughter is nursing and it is like a very vocal experience. She's basically a guest on the podcast today. So anyway, though, you know, just to get into that mindset shift of being present Being aware of our child's perspective and their needs in the first place is a huge step in of itself. Congratulations if you're there. I mean, that's like half the battle. So once you're in that state, though, we're going to reach for connection first. And that really is the first form of connection, just to see your child. I love that quote that says, every day in a hundred small ways our children ask us, do you see me? Do you hear me? Do I matter? And their behavior is typically a result of our response. Ironically enough, a lot of the behavior that leads to limits and boundary setting for us as the parent comes as a result of those three things. The child not feeling seen, heard, or important to you, connected with. So that's important to consider. But for this part of the conversation on how to set boundaries, it's great that we're already in that space of acknowledging our child's perspective from the start by assessing the boundaries in the first place. Asking ourselves, how can I meet my child's need right now? What is the need that they're trying to have met? How can I work with them is the first beautiful step in connecting to them. But the second one is physical. Getting down on their level, making eye contact, and letting them feel that you're with them to work through whatever it is that needs worked through right now. 
Once that connection's established and we are in a grounded state of understanding and creating awareness around what boundaries we're setting and why, we can move into the actual language. And I like to use the expression, the problem is... For example, let's say because this is a perfect scenario for me having recently had a baby, we've had lots and lots of company on multiple occasions and I've still had to stay pretty consistent with my son, my older son Donovan's bedtime. I want him to feel really good even though there are people in our house, there's a lot of commotion, people are excited to see him too and talk about being a big brother and just, you know, hang out with him, give him some love in. And so it can be really tricky to facilitate bedtime with all of that going on and the baby and him knowing like, hey, people are here. I want to hang out. This is a fun time. So I might say something like, "Uh, I know, buddy, it's really tricky to go to bed when there's other people in the house and there's still things going on. I remember feeling like that too sometimes when I was a little girl and my parents had company. I hated that I had to go to bedtime and miss out on whatever was going on. But the problem is that if I let you stay up any later, you're really not going to feel well in the morning. You're not going to wake up feeling refreshed and rested and ready for all the fun things that we have planned for tomorrow. In fact, you might actually feel kind of cranky and not so good. And I just want you to feel your very best. Not to mention that I honestly am feeling really tired myself and I kind of want to just make sure that we all feel really good, especially if I have to stay up a little bit later. I want to help us both out. Using this expression, the problem is, allows us to slow down, first of all, and actually start to communicate clearly with our children why it is that we're setting the boundary for them. And you might be like, oh my gosh, I have to do this over and over again with the same boundary. Yeah, that's clearly where your child's at developmentally in terms of comprehending this boundary, comprehending the body in this particular example, right? Understanding that Rest actually is important. It's integral for us to feel our best, to operate at our best. And that's not exactly something that children are going to prioritize, again, in a developmental state of being three or four or five even, um, over having fun and spending time with family. Geez, I mean, I think that it's something that we as adult people neglect. And again, that's a specific example. But the problem is, allows us to, again, relax for a second instead of being in this like triggered state we move into um, a state of really open honest communication with our children and if it requires more urgency if this is a safety issue that is causing you to set a boundary or a limit I like to use the expression oh I can't let you do whatever it is you know and then we can move into the problem is or the actual real life consequences of whatever behavior. So for example, oh, I can't let you hit right now. I'm going to stop you. I can't let you hit. It hurts me when you hit me. Clearly, if my child was in the midst of like punching another child, I wouldn't just slowly walk up and be like, "Mm, Donovan, the problem is when you punch this child, (laughs) it's going to hurt. You know, I would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't let you do that. Um, we're going to step away here. I'm going to I'm going to literally remove my child from that situation with with calm urgency, calm confidence, not uh, ripping my child in a punitive way to shame them and make them feel whatever. Back to the conversation of developmental readiness. 
Our children, if they are in this fight or flight state, hitting somebody, spitting, they are clearly so emotionally dysregulated that it is not the time to teach. Yes, we need to stop the behavior that we're seeing with urgency, with calm, but this is not a time for our child to comprehend anything. Absolutely, our children need to understand that it hurts someone when they hit them. But I personally believe that our children know that and that they don't want to be doing this behavior. It's as it's coming as a result of that dysregulation, of unmet needs for connection a lot of the time. If this is like a repeated behavior that you're seeing in the household with sibling dynamics or even with you and your child, you know, they're like literally calling for connection. And I know that that sucks to hear. And you're like, no, my kid just can't be hitting. Yeah, of course not. We, of course, we, our children should not be hitting anyone, hurting anyone. But the way that we're going to stop that behavior from happening is understanding what's below the surface, what's causing the behavior that we're seeing. And that's where that quote comes in and comes to mind. You know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Do I matter to you? Those are some of the three biggest reasons that our child is going to be displaying some sort of behavior like that, along with the major two that are sleep, okay, and hunger. If, if your child isn't routinely you know, feeling nourished and, have, and understanding and anticipating mealtimes and understanding and anticipating sleep times and getting quality rest, you might see some behavior that requires limits and boundary setting. But what's not going to help the behavior to stop long-term or to happen less and less or for the child to actually understand, oof, I can't do that. I need a better tool. I need a better way to express what's going on for me and to communicate my needs, we can't move into a punitive space and move into correction before we've connected with our children, especially before they're even in a grounded, regulated state again. No one can learn in a dysregulated state. I can't, you can't. In fact, let's take a look at our own experience as adult people. Think about the most recent argument or uncomfortable conversation that you've had with somebody that you really care about or that you really love and think about what it took for you to finally get to a solution or a resolution where you understood the other person's perspective or you yourself felt seen and heard and understood and important to the other. It probably was not in the heightened state of the conversation, in the heightened state of the argument where there might have been nonviolent, or I'm sorry, violent communication going on, um, things that just had nothing to do with the actual needs at hand being met, but rather, you know, defense mechanisms flying back and forth. When we are dysregulated, no learning happens, no teaching happens. It's just not the time for our brain to process new information, especially something deeply personal. Um, and it's the same except more extreme for our young children that are still really developing um, in terms of their prefrontal cortex, in terms of their ability to even just comprehend the things that we're trying to teach them on a daily basis. So important perspective to keep in mind is, that we ourselves need, need some time to get grounded, to get back into a regulated state in order to actually learn. So before you correct, make sure you're connecting and helping your child get into a state of awareness where they can actually process whatever it is that you do want them to understand. And one more thing that I want to mention while we're on the subject of our experience as adult people, I think it's super interesting that 
most of the time that arguments or discomfort in our adult relationships arises, it's due to that same quote. Do you see me? Do you hear me? Do I matter? Uh, If it's especially a romantic relationship, this is typically the root of pretty much all tension that couples face feeling like they're insignificant to the other, their perspective isn't valued, they they are not important, they're not seen and understood on a deeper level. And it leads to big upsets, big discomfort, tension in the relationship. Not to mention, the best thing of all when it comes to this conversation is that typically limits and boundaries lead to the kind of disappointment um, or again, tension, confusion, right? Like people feeling rejected potentially um, or embarrassed, right? Taking limits and boundaries personally, um, that then that also leads to uncomfortable conversations, you know, arguments, more tension. And I think that's fascinating because I want to move into the next part of the conversation, which is um, not only the last part of how to set boundaries, but also what to do with what's to come when we set boundaries and limits with our kids and how to anticipate the inevitable, which is discomfort. No one, including us, like I've just mentioned, likes to feel rejected or like what we want to do or what we're interested in is invalid or like it's not okay, like we can't do it, explore it, especially with little information about the why behind why we can't do X, Y, or Z. Collaboration and solution-based thinking and action are where we move to next in the steps of how do we set boundaries and limits and how do we do so respectfully. When we've established, okay, this is a limit that needs to be set for whatever reason, and then we say, oh, I totally get why my child's interested in doing X, Y, or Z or why they are doing X, Y, or Z, but it's not okay. And then we've said, oof, the problem with that is blah, 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 blah. Or oof, I can't let you do that. Then we move into, again, teamwork. We're going to collaborate with the person in front of us, no matter their age. This also applies, like I've just mentioned, to adult relationships and marriages. I think that it's actually super fascinating how relevant it is to all of our relationships. This could even go for your relationship with your adult parents. Um, But that being said, we're going to move into the collaboration mode and ask ourselves, okay, how can I have the, uh, the person in front of me's needs met? What can I do to work with them? And talking about that, especially with our children, is crucial for them to feel, again, seen, heard, and important. This can be as simple as even asking yourself the question out loud with your child. Okay, I know that you really wanted to do that. Okay, what can we do now? What can I let you do that's close to that but safe? Or close to that but, you know, a reasonable amount of X, Y, or Z snack, right? Or close to that but at a different time when our schedule allows for it right and then we work into this actual critical thinking and problem solving mode that our children truly benefit from and we benefit from as well because it de-escalates us the parent especially when triggered helps us get into this thinking mode okay we're in solution based mode and you it's really hard to remain triggered when you're actually just coming up with a way to fix whatever issues at hand 
And one of the best aspects of this approach and this particular language is the involvement of the child. Not just for those long-term skills that I talk about developing for your kids, critical thinking, problem solving, staying in a regulated state emotionally when disappointed, when upsets and rejection arise, but also for the sake of our kids' feeling of empowerment and confidence in real time, as well as our relationship. We, by using this language of what can we do, by getting into this collaboration mode and this solution-based thinking mode, we give our children another opportunity to make decisions, to be a part of the decision-making process in the first place, and to give them that reminder that we kind of all need, when faced with limits and boundaries, feeling rejected, that we're on their side, that we're on their team, and that we want to work together. And that brings me to the last part of this conversation, which is what might be at the end of all of that, right? These are great tools and they help us, the parent, keep a really great, positive, grounded frame of mind. They help us to stay emotionally regulated. But guess what? You still might be triggered. In fact, there's a very high chance that you still might be triggered, that you still might feel like, wow, my kid is being super unreasonable or so ungrateful or whatever uh, negative label inserted there, okay? And it's a totally normal thing to experience those feelings and thoughts about your children, especially based on, again, our own childhood and adolescent experience, our conditioning. I don't want you to leave this podcast episode and start using this language or start assessing your boundaries and being like, it's going to be easy. This is going to be great. My child's going to be like, all right, then cool. Yeah, you're right, mom. I won't do that. No, it's... It's not going to be that simple, okay? Most people, it, for, for most people, again, adult people, it's just not that simple. When we want to do something or we're interested in something, it's not so simple for someone to just be like, actually, no, you can't do that. There is going to be some inevitable disappointment. How we anticipate and respond to that disappointment is the real key. You can have all these tools again and it be really challenging. There are times where I've like, packed up my little toolbox in my head because I see it coming. I'm like, I anticipate, I know I'm going to have to say no here or I'm going to have to set a limit here or a boundary. I can see it coming. I'm like, here comes the tidal wave. And my little inner person's packing the tools up. We're using it. We've got all the language down. We're connecting. We're assessing limits, right? And then no, mayday. We are crashing. We are going down. Engines falling off. Things are on fire. It's okay. But the key here, when I feel like an amazing mom, is when I can get ready for that and just ride it out, baby. I'm like, okay, here comes the storm. I've got my umbrella. And I'm going to be, again, like I mentioned in the beginning, my son's calm, confident guide. I'm going to be his anchor. And I can do this. <laughs> I can do this. And so can you. So this part, what's, what's clutch for me is understanding and normalizing over and over again the feeling of disappointment, even embodying it myself for a second, it, it, like literally a, a half of a second, especially when things are going downhill. <laughs> but I'll be like, you know what? I feel disappointed all the time about stuff. I feel disappointed in myself about stuff, I, my decision making or my, my priorities or my ability to do X, Y, or Z. Like it's a normal feeling and it sucks. I don't think, I think disappointment is like one of the worst feelings to experience. It, it's awful. And our children experience it like all day long. I talked about this a little bit in my last episode that you know really covers my 
favorite fundamental of respectful parenting. That's honoring your kid's perspective. Just getting to like see for a second how often they have to hear no. How often they have to be told you can't do that. You can't go there. You can't touch that. Ooh, hey, Romy. Um, you know, and it would suck like all day long being like basically just told no, 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 no. Hey, no. It's like a little song. I, I feel like, yeah, it doesn't take much to be like, okay, that would, that might be annoying. <laughs> and just like get where your kid's coming from. If they're like, you know what, this stinks. And I saw a really cool video I don't know where, but it was basically like when people say kids have no reason to be upset. Like, I don't understand why my kid is crying. They wanted the blue plate instead of the orange plate. Or they wanted, I don't know, the this, whatever. I don't know, a snack and not that one. Grapes, not oranges. And they're freaking out. It's like, they, what do they have to be upset about? Seriously. And they, the video like showed a little girl trying to get dressed. And it was just like such a frustrating process for her. Because she's little and learning and like everything is new. Every aspect of their life for the most part, even at five, is pretty fresh. I mean, they are just absorbing so much information at such a fast rate. And there's so much rejection, a feeling of like, I want to explore. I want to know. I want to touch. I want to feel. I want to see. I want to go. And a lot of you can't. You can't. No, you can't. And also, even when we don't say those things, they have their own limits based on what they do know, what they have understood and explored and learned, right? So this can be really challenging for our kids too. And what makes it easier for us is to just simply get it and express that to them. Even in the midst of, I'm telling you, like straight chaos, your kid flailing about and you feeling embarrassed again, getting into your ego, feeling insecure as a parent, like, am I failing at this? Am I doing a terrible job? First of all, no, you're not. This is normal human behavior. I don't care what person tells you it's not. There's a reason we've all experienced it, okay? And there's a reason that people on every spectrum of parenting style have experienced it. The difference here as conscious parents is that we not only see that behavior coming, all parents do. You know, if you you know that if you have to say no, that something might be on the other end of that no, and that's okay. But the difference as a conscious parent is that we anticipate the behavior and then kind of normalize the feelings behind it. We get to the root of the behavior. We don't take the behavior personally. We don't see this as an opportunity to correct our kids or punish our kids for being human. It's more like, hmm... How can I equip my child with the ability to deal with upsets, challenges, feeling powerless, feeling rejected when it really matters in the long run? I don't want my children as 50-year-old people or even 25-year-old people, any age person, I don't want them at any phase of their life to be met with something difficult, to feel rejected or to feel like they've been let down or like, again, they're powerless in terms of their decision-making, in terms of the course of their life for whatever reason at that time, and then have unhealthy coping mechanisms in place. I don't want them to shut down I don't want them to feel like they have to hide their disappointment, feel ashamed of it, feel like they're ungrateful and bad people, this like shame, this heavy, weighty shame. I don't want them to carry that around 
in especially those moments. I don't want them to feel like, let me just numb out and distract myself. You know what? Actually, I don't even deserve X, Y, or Z. You know, it's, it's probably best that it didn't happen for me or that it didn't come to me in my life or this didn't go this way for me and my family or, you know, like I, I want my children to be able to cope with things in a healthy way. I want them to be able to understand, okay, I'm, I'm super disappointed about this right now or I'm feeling super rejected or I feel really powerless. But you know what? That's a normal way to feel and that's okay. It's an okay way to feel. What's the solution for me? How can I have my needs met? How can I do whatever it is that I want to do? Or wh- what move do I need to make next for myself, for my family, etc.? And also, in the case that there is no solution... At least my kids will be able to have acceptance around both the circumstance and their their feelings around it. And I think it's fair to say that that's what the average parent wants. <laughs> Even if they don't know that they want that, they're like, yeah, that, that sounds pretty good. Give me some of that. I will have that for my children as well. And we give that to our kids by right now when they're little, especially in this, in this very important stage, the zero to five stage of their lives, we give them this compassion and normalcy. You know, we normalize human feelings, the, the way that we process things, especially hard things like disappointment, rejection. And in doing that for our children, being able to be present with them, not take the behavior personally, being compassionate, understanding, empathetic toward their experience, right? Feeling disappointment and feeling like they're powerless because sometimes they really are and that's hard, right? And they spend an entire day feeling that way, feeling constantly rejected, even if the day is amazing as well, even if there's lots of yeses along the way. The no's add up and just acknowledging that and having a little compassion is not only helpful for your kids, but also for you and your inner child and your ability to process disappointment and understand and normalize for yourself as well. So from the top, we've got assess boundaries and limits before you set them in an impulsive way. Get out of that mindset of because I said so, because I'm the mom, or because I'm the dad, that's why, and into the mindset of acknowledging where your kid's coming from. What is it that they're trying to do? What need is it that they're trying to have met? Meet them at their level, make eye contact, let them know that they're seen, heard, and valued by you. Use great language that's going to help you get into communication mode and out of escalated fight or flight mode. So saying things like, okay, the problem is blah, 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 blah about what you want to do or oof, I can't let you do that. And then finish with a combination of the last two things, which is collaboration mode, working with your kids, being on their same team, wanting to figure out a solution and also normalizing the feelings that are going to inevitably arise with the limits and boundaries that you have set. And again, doing that not just for your kids, but also for yourself, because if you can stay present and grounded, you'll be giving your kids the gift of healthy emotional regulation skills and coping mechanisms for the long haul. And before I wrap it up all together, I want to touch on one very last thing, which is prevention. I get a lot of questions about setting limits and boundaries that I don't really find to be developmentally appropriate expectation-wise. Like, you can't expect certain things from a child that's just not going to be able to comprehend whatever limit or boundary you're trying to set. A great example I have of this is 
my little boy Donovan, when he was about a year and a couple of months old, he kept dumping over my parents' dog's dish of food. Like they just left it out all day. It had a little bit of food in it all day long. And he loved dumping it out. This is obviously a great sensory activity for him. In fact, we had like a big bowl of beans, like dry beans that we were playing with in the backyard at one point. And I have a feeling it stemmed from that, right? There was a lot of, there were different reasons why my son would be interested in doing this. Not to mention he was really interested in their little dog at the time. And my parents just kept saying, you really need to teach him not to do that. You really need to teach him the importance of cleaning that up. You need to teach him the importance of keeping it in the bowl. And I got to the point, like the second or third time that it happened, where I was like, how ridiculous is it that I have this expectation for my barely one-year-old son to, to get this concept? Of course he wants to dump it out. This is like where he's at developmentally. He needs to explore his environment in that way. And it just is just not a realistic expectation, nor is it an appropriate thing like for me to be like frustrated and trying to teach him over and over again and for my parents to feel frustrated about. Why don't we just move the bowl? I mean shouldn't that be step one, right? And it seems so commonsensical. And some people really get caught up on this. They're like, no, they need to learn the lesson. And I'm like, it's just not developmentally appropriate. It's not personal. Your child is not disobeying you. They're not defiant. They're just doing what's developmentally normal for them. And honestly, necessary for them. It's like, they can't help it. They need to learn and explore. This is just, again, where they're at. So When it comes to certain things like safety stuff, especially I get questions like this. Well, my child just needs to understand that it's not safe. I'm like, what about a gate? What about completely eliminating the option for that particular instance to happen? Um, Or if you're that uncomfortable, don't put yourself in that position. Don't put yourself and your children in that position in the first place until they are developmentally ready and it's appropriate for you to have that expectation. So I wanted to touch on that before I close this entire discussion because a lot of this stuff can be avoided altogether. A lot of the discomfort can be avoided altogether in your day-to-day lives with your children by simply nipping things in the bud, preventing uh, these kind of obstacles from coming up in the first place by, and setting yourself up for success. So wanted to cover that and I hope that this discussion has been super helpful and enlightening and insightful for you guys. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you listening and tuning into this podcast. I've wanted to start my podcast for such a long time and the support that I've received has been so overwhelming and exciting. Uh, So just thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. If you haven't already um, done whatever you need to do to like continue listening to this do that i don't know what the verbiage is and i think i said that in another episode i should probably just look it up do you subscribe to this podcast i don't know hit whatever button you need to hit to keep listening to new episodes um i'm so excited to be producing them i love it also check out my youtube channel for more content on the same subject matter but also i'll be sharing lots of more personal material like vlogs especially now that i've got a newborn baby i think it's really great for people to get to see respectful conscious parenting practiced in real time so i'll be sharing more of those kind of videos and i'm thrilled about that too so check out my channel the mellow mama follow me on instagram and tiktok at the mellow mama tiktok has a little underscore at the end um And if this was really helpful for you and you're like, dang, I want to dive into the reparenting process. I want to be a less triggered parent. I want to have 
incredible days with my kids and honestly I want to heal myself I want to be that person that that can remain you know the calm confident guide and be the anchor that my kids need me to be and also I just want to be that for myself right if that's you check out my course at themallowmama.org it's awesome I think from my perspective there's a lot of great tools in there and um, I think it's just an incredible foundation for you to build upon or people in your life that you know are expecting or have new children or especially parents um, that are maybe struggling with this concept and need um, a a deeper understanding of why this approach is going to benefit them and their family. So check out my course again, themellowmama.org. Also our Something to Do book, the physical hard copy is you know, available for purchase now. You can go on my website and buy that along with um, other like free eBooks and stuff. But the something to do book is awesome, especially as you're nearing the end of the summer with your kids. If they're maybe heading back to school and you're like, man, I'm a little tapped out. I don't know. I'm fresh out of ideas. That book is awesome. It's got so many great things to do, literally something to do with your kids. Um, Typically, I think the age category that I would start with there is like two years old. Um, But you can really be creative and work with the activities in that book over and over again. Your kids are going to love them. You're going to love them. They're easy. They're simple. It's stuff you've already got in your house. And I'm done talking about it now. So anyway, I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you again for listening. um, And I will talk to you guys soon. I'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye.